Hello and welcome to our podcast, Creatures of Yord. My name is Freya. And I am Jayanna. And we're two friends making a podcast where we explore paranormal creatures. Together, we record at night in our tent with a torch. So grab your soft toy and turn on all of your lights because we're about to get into it and things are going to get creepy. Okay, Miss Jana. <laughs> it's the um blood moon tonight, Jay. I don't really know anything about full moons and stuff except for that people are meant to get like all witchy and weird and animals and stuff are all weird. They say that when there's a full moon, there's something coming in and there's something going out. Right. So as in into the collective or like mm. into spirit or into play. That's mm-hmm. a better way to describe <laughs> it, I think. Well, it's not red yet. It is still white. Yeah, we should um should we start getting to this episode so we can go out and look at the blood mo- red moon when it comes up. Yeah, so this week I will be doing the Valkyries from Norse mythology. I thought we maybe we should double back on Norse mythology a little bit. Mm-hmm. The earliest texts of Norse mythology come from the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, which were written in the 13th century. And both of them came from Iceland, even though the stories within began as oral traditions that spread throughout the Scandinavias. Mm-hmm. You can kind of look to those two sources in particular for like ancient understanding of Norse mythology. The Valkyries are servants of Odin, who um, was considered the greatest god king of all Norse gods. Sometimes the Valkyries were referred to as Odin's shield maidens, um, and they're very beautiful, fierce lady warriors who can fly oftentimes on the back of a horse that can also fly. When humans wage war, the Valkyries decide who will live and who will die. So the name actually translates as chooser of the slain out of the dead who goes to Valhalla, um, which is the victorious afterlife for fallen soldiers. Mm. Um, So they're often depicted with wings, literally flying fallen dead heroes to Valhalla. So they look like an angel? Um, Sort of. I'll show you some photos in one right. sec. But like they're depicted normally with the uh, soldiers in their arms flying on horseback, flying the mm-hmm. dead up to Valhalla. And Valhalla, as well as being the afterlife for heroic fallen warriors, is also the home of the gods. And um, it was said that if you see the figure of a Valkyrie before or during battle, you know you're going to die. Great. Yeah, so I'll show you some photos. Oh, yeah, this is hey, this is what I thought they like. So they wear this. It's a beautiful woman, and then she has this cool kind of like headdress thing on with wings next to her ears, little wings, and then she's wearing like a really cool warrior outfit, like Xena warrior princess vibe, big long sword, and then a beautiful, beautiful majestic horse. Yeah, she's got yeah the cool um helmet with the wings on it. It reminds me one time I was when I was in Indonesia, I was just like waiting for my friend to pick me up, and I was reading a book, um at the front of like a Seven Eleven, and this guy came out and then he was just chatting to me, and then he was like, "What's your name?" I'm like, "Oh, my name's Fre- Freya," 
And he was like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, nah, it's Freya. And he was like, you, you're kidding me. Freya is my favorite character in this video game. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I've got to show you. And he pulled it up and it kind of reminds me of what he showed you. But you know, it's like the woman in like dressed like that, like the Xena warrior princess armor, but it's like massive tits, like huge, huge tits, <laughs> tiny waist, like a little G string. She's like fighting crime or whatever. And he's like, this is you. I was like, oh my God, horrific. <laughs> I'm like, um, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, Freya's actually the goddess of, I think, fertility and love. love. Yeah. But also, interestingly, she is sometimes, but not always, said to be the mother of the Valkyries. Right. So while, while she has like a bunch of other like tasks as mm-hmm. goddess, <laughs> she also is sometimes. She's a working mom. The mo- <laughs> like, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the mother of the Valkyries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, what about what about this one? Oh, okay. So this other one that Jay's showing me, I guess, is a modern take on her, but a bit more um, deathly because she has a black crow on her arm. Good description of them. So, uh, yeah, each Valkyrie has a different strength in battle, which cool. is like a Power rela- Ranger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which is related to their names. Um, so some of the names are. Skulled, which means debt or future. Skugal, which means shaker. Gunnar, which means war. Hilda, which means battle. Gondol, wand wielder. Gyarhad, spear fight. Rangrid, shield truce. The names are getting more and more abstract. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a translation. Yeah, I guess so. Regan Leaf, Power Truce. They're all kind of like, I guess, names of attributes that would aid you in battle. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they only take the most honorable warriors to Valhalla. Right. So they're kind of, I guess, representing. <laughs> yeah. So it's said that the Valkyries' horses were made out of air when they traveled to Midgard which is one of the nine realms in Norse mythology, frost and dewdrops would fall from their manes onto the ground. The flickering of the Valkyrie's silver armor causes strange mirages in the sky, which was an explanation for the Aurora Borealis. Cool. Which I, th- I thought was really pretty. But they aren't just beautiful blonde war bitches. <laughs> <laughs> they're also known for using dark magic as we kind of like maybe got some inkling of before when Mm. freya described the photo of them so yeah they're known for using dark magic to ensure the preference for who lives and who dies in battle comes to fruition right so they kind of pick the in some ways it's almost as if they pick the best warriors to die right like the most noble and the most Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get into like why that is a little bit okay. later. I really like this description of, I guess, one of the more gruesome sides of the Valkyries. So in the poem, there's described 12 Valkyries and they're sitting prior to the Battle of Clontarf and they're sitting in a loom and they're weaving the tragic fate of the warriors. They're using intestines for their thread, severed heads for weights, and swords and arrows for beaters, all while they're chanting mm-hmm. their intentions with ominous delight. <laughs> so the reward of going to Valhalla, mm-hmm. which is ruled over by Odin, is that you become one of Odin's warrior champions, which is a really high honor. Mm-hmm. 
So basically, if you're valiant and brave, um, then you'll go there. And the destiny of these esteemed soldiers is that they will fight alongside the gods in the Ragnarok, which is like a Norse apocalypse slash a battle of the gods against the forces of chaos. And this event has been prophesized. Hmm. So they're collecting human soldiers' souls, bringing them to land of the gods, and then they train there during the day, waiting for this prophesized war. So they train during the day in these like giant halls of Valhalla, and then in the nights they drink mead, and the Valkyrie bring the mead. They feast on boar meat. It sounds akin to their actual life. Yeah, I guess so. With just more Valkyries. Yeah, more girls waiting on them. (laughs) No, it's a high honor, you know, to be Mm. alongside Odin, who is like the greatest of the gods. Yeah. So Valhalla was pretty interesting. So it's a giant hall, which is known as the paradise of warriors. So it's like beautiful and it's huge. So it has 540 doors and just one of these doors leads to a room that is large enough to contain 800 soldiers marching side by side. Wow. So eight people wide. Uh, 800 people wide. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Could fit eight people. <laughs> Yeah. And the ceiling is made of shields. The walls are made of spears. Cool. So basically the belief in Valkyries and in Valhalla and Odin like comforts and invigorates soldiers before battle and helps them to stay brave and strong in the face of war. And, you know, that's pretty like the ultimate terror. (laughs) But a few more stories about the Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're known for having relationships with human men. And they can turn into horses, swans, and crows when they visit They can Earth. fucking do everything. <laughs> <laughs> but specifically only horses, swans, crows. What do they represent? I'm not sure about the swans and the horses. I guess horses just are kind of like a war. Like valiant. Yeah. But with the crow, that is actually pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. they're often depicted in um, with crows or yeah. being around crows or as crows mm-hmm. and so there's a few reasons for this so crows were often seen over battlefields and they pick the dead as food which is sort of like valkyries except that they're picking at the dead for their souls yeah <laughs> so that's probably one reason why crows are associated with death and the bringing of death because yeah. they were always like flying over battlefields full of and feasting on corpses dead. Yeah. <laughs> the dead yeah but the raven is also associated with Odin. So Odin is known for having two servants that are oftentimes on his arm or they're off doing his biddings. And they're called Hugin and Munin. (laughs) And they're actually a part of Odin. So I guess he's like almost like conjured them. Mm -hmm. So they sit on his shoulder and they whisper all the news um, which they see and hear. So is this the little devil and angel on your shoulder? (laughs) Is that what that is? No, 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 no. So basically, yeah, he sends them out in the morning to fly around the whole world. And then by breakfast, they're back. And then he finds out everything about what's going on in the world. So they're like his spies. So Odin is called the Raven God or the priest of Raven sacrifices. Yeah, an interesting thing about the Valkyries is actually that they're also a part of Odin. So they're like a part of his soul. Yeah, right. Um, So sometimes they're described as projections of parts of Odin. 
or a semi-distinct being that are part of his larger being. So, yeah, I think like one really cool thing about the Valkyries is like on the one hand, you look at pictures of them and they're pure. They look like an angel, mm. like a strong. Like a Xena warrior princess slash yeah. angel. They also have this really dark side where they like sit on the edge of a battlefield weaving people's fates out of yeah. intestines and skulls. I, I guess they are like that. Um, They are a bit of a hybrid between being like, because it's angels that take you to heaven and I guess they are taking you to a a sort of heaven and they're the ones who are cradling you and taking you up but then they are also the ones who are de- yeah like deciding your de- destiny and u- ultimately killing you mm. yeah they kill you and then they're like take you up to heaven <laughs> <laughs> pour you mead yeah. <laughs> maybe sleep with you <laughs> yeah yeah they become bar wenches <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually odin jokes on you <laughs> <laughs> He's watching the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it's actually his the whole time. <laughs> Fuck, it's like Big Brother watching you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Fucking hell. <laughs> Little spiritual CCTV <laughs> <laughs> Well, should we have a snack and yeah. get to your story? Yep. Okay, let's do it. Okay, Jay, so this week I did something a bit different, similar to when you did the um, ghost marriages, and today I'm doing ghost sickness. Oh, weird. So basically, this is a cultural belief in lots of indigenous uh, populations around the world. So it's like in North America and the Navajo people, the Miskoji, um, in Polynesia, in Mesopotamia, Samoa, Vietnam, British Columbia, all across the world, people experience this ghost sickness. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's attributed to like a ghost or like it could be interpreted as witches or witchcraft. And basically, it's like when someone dies and then you come become all consumed by their death and it's seen that like their ghost is haunting you, I guess. Mm. So, I've got a few examples from different places, like different um, cultures around the world. So, one is the Miskoji culture, which is a like native North American tribe. In their culture, they believe that everyone is a part um, of this energy called Ibo Funga. And so basically it's the result of the flow between the mind, body, and spirit. Mm. And they see illness as when the flow is being disrupted between mind, body, and spirit. And so their medicine in their culture focuses on preventing and treating the obst- obstruction of this flow and also restoring a peaceful flow within every person. So making sure that your mind, body, and spirit are always in harmony and then you'll stay healthy. So basically when someone passes away, they have these purification rituals for for mourning. And this is to prevent unnatural or prolonged or emotional physical or emotional drain. 
And so in the culture and like with ghost sickness, it's seen as like you not grieving properly. And as a result, the spirit will haunt you. Mm, Interesting. This idea of like what constitutes proper grieving Mm. is a pretty interesting question. Be interested to know what the like classic psychological... Oh, well, we'll get into that as well. Oh, cool. <laughs> when America was colonized in 1881, a federal ban was put on some of the traditional mourning rituals of um, the indigenous people of North America. And as a result, they couldn't do that yet. These special, special ceremonies that they do to cleanse souls and like send off the um, spirit to the afterworld. Basically, the result of this was people in these tribes that weren't able to mourn in their traditional and like appropriate way. Uh, became further predisposed to develop pathological grief and this ghost sickness. And so basically what the symptoms are of this ghost sickness is it's weakness, loss of appetite, nausea, like a suffocating feeling. You can have reoccurring nightmares, um, a pervasive feeling of terror, dizziness, anxiety, depression. So maybe we would see this as maybe like a part of like the grieving process. People get like depressed and... You know, there's all part of it. But basically, the result of this ban in 1881 meant people couldn't grieve properly and resulted in increased depression and ghost sickness in mm. these communities. Mm, interesting. And so, a big part of this ghost sickness is having fantasies of the reappearance of this deceased person or belief in the ability to project yourself into the future or the past. So, you kind of like, yeah, I guess maybe hallucinating or you think that they're there or that you're in a different time frame. Like, before the person passed away or after the person passed away. Um, And so one of the treatments of these in like North America is to do a traditional ceremony which eliminates all the consuming thoughts of the dead from you and basically the entire community gets involved and you have a special priest or priestess who conducts this ceremony um, and it allows the spirit of the individual to like leave you alone. Another example is the Navajo people, which is another um, Native American tribe. And they felt that ghost sickness, which is essentially like maybe we would describe as depression, is caused by the spirit of the dead attaching itself to a living person. And it's usually a family member. And what it does is drains your energy. And it's the result of the mourner continuing to connect and engage with the person who's already passed on and not being able to let go and accepting that they have died. Mm, yeah, like yeah, the letting go aspect. Yeah, and they continue to like think about them and try to communicate with them. And as a result, they just get depressed and can't do anything. Yeah, so basically the Navajo people believe that this ghost sickness is a result of an improper burial practices. So if the person's like died and they weren't able to like bury them properly, their spirit is thought to be doomed to stay on earth and then to torture the living. And so again, similar to the other tribes, um, the spiritual leader has to come and perform these special ceremonies to help send the spirit on. And another, so another tribe is the Apache tribe, and they believe that when someone dies, they need to be buried immediately, and their home and their belongings are all burned. Then their family do this special purification ritual. They move to a new home to escape the ghost, and they aren't allowed to speak the dead person's name ever again. Wow. Maybe this is a bit too hard. But I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of, it's like letting go. It's just like, well, that person is now gone. Now they believe they're in some other afterlife. So it's just like fully letting go and like it's probably quite liberating, I think. You don't want to create a scenario where they're not allowed to like talk about. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it's sort of that's one interpretation. And I mean, who knows? But 
I guess, evidence of that not being correct is that like when they had this ban in 1881 where people weren't allowed to practice their traditional mourning rituals, people had increased cases of ghost sickness or like depression and anxiety and stuff. So it's like, I guess you should be doing a mourning ritual that aligns well with your belief system. Because like in our belief system, it's probably not like we – I don't know, like say if we don't believe in an afterlife, the idea of someone dying is pretty horrific. Like that's it, they're done. But if you were in a culture where you truly believe like they've gone to a better life, it's maybe easier to let them go and to like let their memory go because they're on, you're sort of happy that they're off doing something else. So like there's another tribe in like Eastern um, Ecuador and same thing again. So they purge themselves of anything that would remind them of their loved ones. So they don't use their name. And again, they do a special ceremony to rid themselves of the individual. Um, When you're talking about psychology, Freud actually um, had a theory that sickness is a sign of unresolved mourning. And his idea was that the treatment is detachment, which is the same as like those tribes, which is not uttering their name, like cleansing themselves and purifying themselves of the person who had died. So he had like, so if there was someone who was um, like severely depressed or like sick after they lost lost someone that they loved, Mm He he saw it as unresolved mourning, and right. I mean, look, we don't. But not all sickness as unresolved mourning. No, oh, I mean, who knows? It's Freud, probably. <laughs> Everything's fucking unresolved mourning, but you know, like we we take what Freud says with a grain of salt these days. But just interesting that he had similar theories. But basically, his concept was sickness is the result of emotional and physical symptoms, and so like if you're like psyche is disturbed so maybe from unresolved mourning that has impacts on your physical health which is true so basically because of this belief in ghost sickness and the idea that ghosts and holding on to the memories or like energy and spirits of individuals causes sickness and the potential that you would die um, a lot of these communities have a intense fear of ghosts and this is like how different like um, super elaborate rituals and ceremonies are developed in history is that it's to, yeah, I guess out of fear. And so the concept is, so we like are a human, we have a spirit in our body. And then when you die, all the good parts that control the body um, and the body's impulses exit your body and they'll go up to the heaven and the skies while the evil is left on earth. And so that's why they're frightened. Like when you die, all your goodness is leaves earth and it's only the bad parts that remain of your spirit. And that's why they're so frightened of it. Interesting. Yeah. And like, so when I was, I was reading like so a few like research papers on this and basically they're saying that in Western languages, like Germanic langu- languages and English is part of that. We actually don't have the correct, ter- like we actually don't have the terminology or the cultural understanding to be able to fully fathom this concept, like which is not within our society, culture or language. And so it's, although we can maybe explain it, we can't fully articulate and comprehend it if you grew up in a different language or different culture Mm -hmm. yeah so like the parts that remain on earth are still of the soul though yeah so it's like your spirit has like good and bad in it and all the good things leave and all the negative parts of your spirit and soul are just like can remain on earth it kind of reminds me of the valkyrie in a way Mm. it's like the the you know like the evil part is like done on earth Mm. and then when the valkyrie goes to heaven they're like form changes yeah yeah true but i was gonna say Mm. just going back to creating a split with the soul of the deceased person or the memories of the deceased person the act of putting someone in a casket and burying them or i guess burning them putting them in a vase it's like 
a physical way mm-hmm. of creating separation from them. Yeah, and it's also like a bit of like letting them maybe not so much putting the ashes I in mean, a vase, like, but like you don't put their lost- mummified body no. in like a glass cabinet and to keep it in your yeah. house so you can Some always see do it. Um, but they Which one? <laughs> in like East Indonesia, it's on a glass cabinet, but they. Um, bury they don't bury they have these like grave sites but they're actually kind of above ground so there's like it looks like a carport but there's cement like maybe a half a meter above ground and it's in the house so it might become your living room floor it's like Mm. it's like your patio where you hang out and it's the whole concept it's actually the inverse it's that they never leave you like if your grandmother dies you bury her in the house and it's like she's always there and her presence and you actually want her energy and spirit there because she's never leave i don't know it's actually the total inverse to this whole concept interesting yeah yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> but I think an interesting thing about this whole ghost um, sickness is that it actually does exist. And they – like this is proven in um, modern science that there is a higher rate of mortality during the bereavement period. So especially um, – it's called it's called widowhood effect. And especially in the three months after the death of a spouse, the likelihood of you dying increases significantly – um, in men, they're 18% more likely to die in that first one month to three months. You've got an 18% increased likelihood of dying. And for women, it's 16%. And so some other names for this is like dying of a broken heart or takotsubu condition. Um, and the concept is basically that your body is in such emotional distress that you have a myocardial infraction, which is basically something happens to your heart. And there's all these both anecdotal and then actual studies of like a woman or a man, usually 60 plus, and their partner has died recently and they'll come to hospital and they think they're having a heart attack and they do all the tests, like all the blood tests and scans and everything, but they, they're, they're not having a heart attack at all. Like their body is totally fine. And it's this broken heart syndrome where your body is just, you're in such an emotional distress that it's actually like having a heart attack. Mm, it's like your heart's being kind of suffocated in a way. Yes. It's energy. Which is the same symptoms as the ghost sickness, which is like suffocating feeling, loss of appetite, pervasive feeling of terror. It's because of, I think like, well, in my mind, it kind of comes back to the, like if the catharsis stage wasn't done properly or whether you're like rehashing, I guess, feelings in the heart around this this person but in a way that kind of is just kind of keeps stirring up pain but then to the point where you can't bear the pain anymore and so you almost force the energy out of your heart yeah they say a major part of um this like widowhood effect or broken heart syndrome of social support yeah totally the most major thing is the lack of social support and so there's been a bunch of studies as well on this and one of them was like they looked at african-american communities and like white uh, white american community communities who of individuals who just recently been widowed and people who are from african-american communities were far less likely to experience widowhood effect and basically they attributed this because African-American communities have a stronger like kin relationships and they often live within a stronger community environment. So they'll live close to friends and family and they have authentic and frequent interactions with people. Mm -hmm. So there's more heart energy flowing around, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then there is um, also greater religious participation. So again, community Mm -hmm. uh, opposed to white Americans. And Mm. there is a lot of isolation. Yeah, Isolated lifestyles really focus on the nuclear family and less on the community. Mm, Yeah. I always felt that was like a strategic part of um, capitalism almost because to like, isolate ourselves. 
Yeah, because it makes us feel alienated. And when we feel alienated from other people, we're less likely to like band together and like True. And we, ask for change yeah. or complain. Or And we also then we reach out for other things to fill that void in our selves, like with that lack of community and interaction. So you buy things and mm, you go and totally. consume more and do things. Yeah. Yeah. And also like without people around, like you're less likely to to ask for things for your community as well, right? To make your community better. Like you're less likely to be like, uh, yeah, we need like more churches or like we need better infrastructure or community. Healthcare, maybe. Yeah, healthcare. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, you know, or just like your community spaces. Totally. And also less likely to be proactive and just do it yourselves. But yeah, so like we said, they say that the – key solution for broken heart syndrome or widowhood effect is a strong connection between your mental, physical, and emotional self, which again is the same as the Muskogee uh, culture where they said that illness is the result of disrupted flow between mind, body, and spirit. It's like it's taken us literally thousands of years to get back to what people were thinking. Like traditional cultures, they already knew this, and then med- modern medicine has just come to that same conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mind, body, soul need to be in alignment. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> and then the other thing is, yeah, to maintain your strong social ties. So I actually was reading a case study about ghost sickness. And so this is just an example of it and how it can be overcome and sort of how it still occurs in society today. So essentially there was this woman and she was from the Navajo community and her partner was not. He was just um, like Anglo-American. And so postpartum, after having a baby, she started feeling like angry and depressive thoughts and she was really self-loathing. She had body dysmorphia and like hated her, like was really disgusted by herself and just constantly crying and was doing a lot of self-destructive behaviors. Like she would get in the car and just drive really fast and just really bad, bad behavior. And had a lot of reoccurring nightmares of her deceased father. And so when I was reading this, I'm like, well, she's got postpartum depression, but they sort of like looked into her history and like, you know, we're trying to figure out like, well, why are you having this? Like, why is this happening? And so basically six years earlier, her father had died suddenly when her mother, her mother was in labor and it was quite a traumatic birth. And so this woman took her mother to the hospital and then the mother gave birth to her brother. And then she came home and found that her father was dying and he'd basically had his appendix was had ruptured and he was dying at home. And she took him to the hospital and um, he ended up passing away. And so she had this like really traumatic experience, which was linked to like childbirth and her parents. Um, and it was at the hospital. And yeah, so she had this really, really horrific situation. But she did like, you know, they grieved it and fine and she moved past it. But then six years later, when she gave birth to her own child, this whole like that feeling came over her and part of her postpartum depression was this reoccurring nightmare where her deceased father was visiting her, which is like in the ghost sickness, which is that the, a deceased person is just like latching onto you. And so her mother, who was um, from Navajo descent, said that we need to do a proper ceremony to rid you, rid you of your father's malignant influence. So basically mm. the idea that father's spirit hasn't left earth yet, it's attached to you and we need to do this special ceremony to get rid of it. But her husband didn't agree because he didn't believe in this like traditional Navajo special ceremonies and as a result she didn't get the ceremony and she continued to have like go Mm. through distress and you know the doctors were trying to give her like coping mechanisms and medicine but she still was spiraling and having these recurring nightmares and destructive behavior so then 
um, like another team of doctors came in and they decided to treat her both traditionally and biomedically. And so that they were seeing the whole mind, body, spirit needs to be connected. And so biomedically, they did this surgery because she was having like injuries with her body after the birth. So they gave her like a surgery, like medically, she was fine in her physical self after that. On top, And then they also gave her like, you know, um, helped her with like antidepressants, depressants and coping me- mechanisms that you would typically get in Western medicine. But on the other side, they facilitated her and her husband to uh, compromise on their differences in culture and allow her to have this ceremony where her she was cleansed of her father's spirit. And basically after she'd done both the Western medicine and the traditional medicine, she was totally fine. And um, basically attribute that like a major part of all of these issues was this psychological de-stress she had because she truly believed that her father's spirit was there. And once her husband allowed her, which helped, build, uh, helped their relationship as well mm-hmm. and then she got rid of this um she'd done the ceremony just like literally the ceremony like the process of that felt like she'd cleansed herself and she was able to step out of it wow it's an incredible story yeah and so i guess it just shows like the importance of integrating patient special beliefs into their treatment plans mm-hmm. and that their beliefs and concerns need to be considered and taken into account in order for them to heal properly and without doing so they never will heal so she although she had got had like physically she was fully cured like she was on antidepressants and she had um uh she'd had like this surgery to fix her body but she still was having all these issues yeah being self yeah self-destructive body dysmorphia and things as soon as she had the ceremony it was it all aligned and she was able to heal yeah incredible wow yeah that's like I am proud of the me- medical system for like going to those lengths mm. in a way to like facilitate that for her. Yeah. Well, I guess this whole study, there was a number of different cases. There was one who was like a woman who was like Vietnamese descent who also had ghost stories in their culture um, yeah, in a number of different places. And the same sort of thing, like until there was a, this holistic approach taken, which included their mind, body and spirit, which for every person is totally individual depending on their culture, beliefs and whatever. Um, they weren't, no one was able to heal properly. Mm. in the west we might call like the the mind spirit aspect of mind body spirit psychology or that might Mm. get kind of treated in the realm of psychology yeah i think these days it's like wellness like that's like the buzzword for it which is like this weird white version of it's like a whitewashing of spiritual spirituality basically yeah spirituality yeah the white love to wash everything (laughs) (laughs) Mm, i really enjoyed that story yeah it was very very interesting yeah i really love stories that are um sort of tie tradition back to like science and psychology and stuff and that it's just really interwoven and then what you can learn from these traditional societies well i think it's uh time for us to go check out the blood red full moon almost 15 minutes yeah all right jay well good night and sleep tight <laughs> <laughs>